Well, good morning. You got your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 this morning. I invite you to turn there, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at verses 36 to 46. And if you didn't bring your Bibles, we'll put the passage up on the screen for you. As we read God's Word this morning, I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand with us uh, just to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46, the Word of the Lord. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit, indeed it is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, then your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, you are the eternal, omnipotent, sovereign, all-wise, all-good, and all-loving Lord. Many are gathered in this room right now. We come from different places, different cultures, different lifestyles. Each one of us has brought with us today our own unique troubles, doubts, circumstances, distractions, and hopes. All of us have brought a sinful, selfish heart that we need changed. Indeed, we're all doing better than we deserve. We need you right now. We need your word, for we cannot live on bread alone. We need your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds. We need you to meet each one of us uniquely. And we need you to join all of us together in unity. Forgive us for our sin through the blood of Christ. Wash us with your word now and then send us out to share the gospel with Boone. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So what are you, a missionary or something? The question startled me to say the least. I wasn't even aware that someone had sat down beside me. It was early Saturday morning, August 3rd, less than a month ago. I was in the airport in El Salvador waiting for the plane to take our youth group back to the States. I was in that moment sleepily staring into my Bible, which was in my lap, and I was begging God to give me everything I needed that day, and I needed a lot. I was beyond exhausted, 
I was wasted. I was physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually worn out. While it had been a wonderful summer of ministry, it had also been the busiest and most intense summer of ministry that I'd ever had. Five of the eight weeks, we'd had some sort of a youth retreat or mission trip or uh, event. On top of that, my youngest son, Caleb, had been having serious health problems for about nine months. We had spent months searching for a diagnosis, and we had had a feeding tube put into his little 17-pound body just a week and a half prior to me uh, being there in that airport that morning. We had spent months watching him struggle, and it had been really hard. So what are you, a missionary or something? As I looked up and locked eyes with this man, I I uttered a very quick prayer in my exhaustion, Lord, help me. His name was Carlos, and we ended up talking for about 45 minutes. Carlos spoke perfect English, which was good, because I don't speak Spanish. He spoke perfect English, but he was originally from Santa Ana, El Salvador, the very place we had spent the week ministering. Carlos quickly informed me that he had tried, in his words, Pentecostal Christianity for a little while, but he found it too difficult. Then he looked right at me and he said, and this is a quote because it struck me so much, and I wrote it down almost word for word when I got on the airplane. He said this, Pentecostal Christianity was too hard for me. So now I live with both feet in the world. I am not sitting on the fence. I do good things, and hopefully that will make God happy. But I know that I might face judgment and go to hell. I was stunned. I'd never had anybody say something like that to me before, but I did manage a reply. I said, Eternity is a very long time, Carlos. Are you sure you're comfortable with what you just said? He paused briefly and then he told me that he was. Then he looked at me and he said, God is not good. If he was, then he wouldn't let people suffer. Seminary degrees are usually helpful in these kinds of situations, but this guy was loaded And I was utterly exhausted. I don't think I offered the defense that I should have or maybe could have. But I can tell you that over the years, I've learned at least one thing. 90% of the time when people bring up human suffering as an objection to God, they're not making a philosophical argument. They usually have a personal complaint. I did learn his story as a young He had immigrated to the United States, and he had suffered much trying to make a life for himself in the U.S. Many people had taken advantage of him in more ways than one. He said he could never understand why God allowed it. Like I said, I'm not sure that I gave the best defense that day. Besides the utter exhaustion that I was dealing with, Just to be honest with you, Carlos had touched on a pretty raw place in my own heart. I was wrestling with questions about suffering. 
when you're looking at your little boy and he can't swallow the food that he needs to be able to grow and live and you're told that it's a, a rare disease that we don't know a whole lot about and it, it may or may not go away, I think the natural human response is to ask God why. At least that had been my response over the last several months. If you've lived on planet Earth for some time, you, you have likely come across hard times. If you have not yet, you will. Suffering will come. Now, there's a sense in which suffering is relative. As Scott A. pointed out last week, suffering in America is not as intense as suffering in South Sudan. And there are different kinds of suffering. Being persecuted for your faith is certainly different than having cancer. But I believe there are certain aspects of suffering, certain qualities of suffering that, that are universal. Suffering is painful. Suffering is lonely. Suffering is confusing. Suffering is hard. We live in a messed up world. People will take advantage of us. Bad things will happen and all of us will face trials and suffering at some point. Suffering is hard. And I'm not going to tell you that it can be avoided if you just have enough faith, because that is a lie. Nor am I going to offer you some quick fix to the problem, because there isn't one. And this sermon certainly isn't going to answer all the questions that there could be. Entire books have been devoted to suffering in the sovereignty of God, so a 30-minute sermon isn't going to cover it. Truth is, sometimes life just hurts. Sometimes God's will is difficult to embrace. And this is part of the Christian experience. Just look at the Psalms. Time after time we see the psalmist asking where God is or why this is happening or, or pouring out their heart in pain. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. God is good. I believe that. And the scripture promises that all things will, will work together for our good, but that doesn't mean every chapter of our, of our life will be easy. We'll get that phone call that dad has died or that mom is still really sick. The doctor might look at us and say, it's cancer. The doctor might look at you and say, there isn't a heartbeat. Your boss might have to come to you and say, there's not enough work. We have to let you go. You could be looking for a job. You can't find one. Your child is diagnosed with a disease or they're severely disabled. You're infertile and nothing you do is helping. Your parents look at you and say, we are moving again. Life can offer some tough pills to swallow. And the main point in our passage today is this. Jesus was grieved by God's will, but prayer helped him to say, your will be done. When we're in the midst of suffering, all kinds of temptations present themselves. We can be tempted to think that God is not good or God just doesn't want to be good to us. We can start looking for help in all the wrong places. Suffering can lead to all kinds of temptations. But suffering, 
can be beneficial in, in many ways. It, it can mature us. It can equip us to minister to others in the midst of their suffering. It can take us deeper into our relationship with God. But suffering is not easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. And if it wasn't easy for Jesus, it's not going to be easy for us. But we do have an opportunity to connect with God in the midst of it. Prayer is our connecting point with Jesus when we're suffering. And 1 Peter 2.21 tells us that, that Christ's example of suffering has left us with an example so that we might follow in his steps. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that the man Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for us, serving as the mediator between us and God. He is our mediator. In Christ's suffering, we find our salvation, but we also find the supreme example to follow. And, and suffering presents the opportunity to be comforted by our mediator, by Jesus, because he knows pain. He knows grief. To see the truth that's in our passage this morning and to be strengthened by it, uh, we're going to go with a very simple outline. First, we'll see how Jesus felt. Then we'll see what Jesus did. And then we'll see what Jesus wanted. All right, we'll start with how Jesus felt. How did Jesus feel? Words that are used to describe Jesus in this moment are sorrowful, troubled, grieved, distressed. The same story appears in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. When Mark tells the story, he uses a word that carries the idea of being surprised, to be almost shocked. So there's a sense in which the grief that came over Jesus, there's a sense in which it caught him off guard. If you can get your brain around that one. Jesus is clearly grieved by the Father's will in Matthew chapter 26. When we read this story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus was so stressed out that he actually sweat blood. An actual but, but rare response that the human body can have in the midst of extreme duress. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus feels crushed with anguish. Jesus looks at his disciples and actually says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Jesus feels like he is about to die right then and there in the garden. Does that surprise you? Why isn't Jesus calmly facing death since he has spoken of it so consistently and calmly throughout his ministry? This is one of those passages that will always have some mystery to it. Always. Jesus is fully God, fully man. He knows what lies before him. He has just prophesied to the disciples that all of them are about to abandon him. They're going to betray him. And yet he's deeply terrified by what lies before him. And we have to see these feelings as real. For Jesus to be our substitute and our savior, he had to be like us in every way. Hebrews 2.17 Jesus was and is fully God and fully man. When we read in the scriptures that Jesus was hungry, we need to realize that he was actually hungry. When we read in the scriptures that, that Jesus was uh, thirsty or tired, we need to understand that to mean thirsty or tired. He needed sleep. He desired friends to be around him. So when we read that Jesus was grieved by what was about to happen, it means that he had real feelings of sorrow and distress. 
We're never going to fully grasp how the human nature and the divine nature of Christ work together in this moment. But we can be certain that no one else has ever felt this kind of grief or ever will. Jesus' death was like no other death. So this anguish in the garden is like no other anguish. The deep anguish that Jesus feels here is more than just this is going to hurt. It's because he knows that he will face death completely alone as the sacrificial, wrath-averting Passover lamb. He knows that pain and abandonment await. He knows that isolation and loneliness is coming. And in a way I cannot understand or explain, he knows that the perfect union and communion of the triune God will be broken. The Father will forsake him, the Son. Matthew 27, 46. And the sin of humanity will be laid on Jesus. The price that Jesus paid for our sin, it was exceedingly great. As he looked at what was coming, he shuddered. D.A. Carson says that as we absorb what is happening here, our best response is hushed worship. Our salvation was not cheap. Our salvation was painful. We forget that far too often. I do want to take a moment to point something out to you. Notice that Jesus' sorrow and grief are not sinful. While we're never ever going to experience this kind of agony, we are going to have agonizing moments. We are going to have grief. We are going to feel crushed at times. And it's not wrong to display those feelings in front of others and to share them with God. If Christ, the manliest of men, could unload his feelings and desires in front of the disciples and to God the Father, so can we. We must be careful here. Unloading our our feelings does not mean we cuss God out. We can speak honestly, but we must speak respectfully and submissively. If Jesus felt the need to say in his prayer, if it be your will, how much more should we have that same attitude when we pray? So we see how Jesus felt. He felt sorrow, felt grief. So what did he do? In the midst of this anguish, Jesus does two things. First, he asks for his closest friends to be near him. And secondly, he prays. In the garden, Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to be near him and to watch and pray. And you, we've already seen that Jesus is in deep anguish. So these, these prayers are not dinner table, thank you God, prayers. Verse 39 says that Jesus fell on his face. He is as low to the ground as one can get. He's asked his three friends to pray with him, but they, they fall asleep. When he finds them sleeping the first time, he wakes them up. And in verse 40, he asks, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Clearly, we, we have the subject of his prayer recorded here, but, but not every word. This first time of prayer, it apparently lasted about an hour. And the other two times of prayer likely lasted for some time as well. His request, his prayer to God the Father is, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but as you will. 
He prays that or, or slight, some slight variation of that during three different prayer sessions. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention the cup as the main substance of his prayer. The cup in ancient times, it, it was kind of like the electric chair today. It represented justice and payment. The cup that Jesus is referring to is, is based off of Old Testament language that's, that's used to signify the wrath of God. There's dozens of Old Testament passages that speak of the, the cup and the wrath of God as the same thing. If it was possible, Jesus wanted to avoid drinking the cup. The reason Jesus did not die as calmly as some of his followers did after him is because none of his followers faced what he faced, the cup of the Father's wrath against sin. And if you and I believe, we'll not experience that death or that cup either. That is wonderful news for us. Throughout this time of prayer, Jesus continually finds his friends sleeping. Now, sleeping is not evil. Humans need sleep. The scriptures tell us that Jesus slept. There's no doubt that by this point in the day, or shall we say in the late night, they were exhausted. But Jesus has asked them to stay awake. He doesn't want to be alone. He needs friends to pray with him. But they keep letting him down. There had been times in the past where Jesus had leveled some, some pretty tough rebukes on these men. But he doesn't do that here. He speaks directly for sure, but, but tenderly. In verse 41, he warns them that temptation is close. He says, I know your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Fight it for your sake. And fight it for me right now. Sometimes the word flesh in the scripture, is, it's used in a negative sense. It isn't here. In this sense, it, it just means that the frailty that is natural to humanity. Jesus knows they are wiped out, but he's asking them to fight against this feeling. He's giving his friends the benefit of the doubt. He says, I know your spirit is willing. He, but he's, he's shepherding them. And he's saying, your flesh is weak. They are letting him down, but he's shepherding them in the midst of all of that. He is a friend. He is a savior. Let's take a moment just to think through these things. When, when you find yourself in deep duress, in, in serious distress, what do you do? Jesus prayed. He's the perfect and supreme example to us. This is what we should do when we are in the midst of trials and suffering. We should pray. And yet so often we are tempted to do anything but that. As we saw a moment ago, we can tell God how we feel. We don't have to act like we're not hurt or, or confused or dismayed. And it's a good idea to seek out our closest friends and, and ask for their fellowship and their prayer. Jesus did that. Don't miss that. Jesus is praying to God the Father, but he's also seeking the help, the companionship, the closeness of friends, some others with skin and bone just like him. We can do the same. But 
We must not be surprised when our friends let us down. Because so often their spirit is very willing, but their flesh is weak, just like ours. Jesus' closest friends let him down. They, they fell asleep three different times. Jesus' friends, Jesus' life group, they were a lot like yours. Imperfect, flawed, not 100% reliable, and in the worst of moments, cowards or traitors. <laughs> if you've been in church for any length of time, you have probably been let down by Christians. If you've been here at Alliance for any length of time, you have probably been let down. Jesus knows that feeling. He knows that disappointment. He knows that hurt piled onto the other grief. Disappointing moments, like when friends let you down, those are moments when you can connect with Christ. He knows exactly what it feels like. Jesus' friends let him down, but he does not let them down. Your friends might let you down. Your spouse might let you down. Your children might let you down, but Jesus will not let you down. So we see how Jesus feels. He feels sorrow. We see what Jesus does in the midst of that. He prays. What does Jesus want? As I see it, Jesus wants three things. First, he wants Peter, James, and John to stay awake and pray with him. He does not get that. Have you ever sought something that seemed so reasonable, but you did not get it? A friend to comfort you, a decent night's sleep, a little bit of help in a moment of need. Again, Jesus can meet you in those moments of disappointment. He knows what it is like to not get what you want. He knows it better than any of us. Second, Jesus wants the cup of God's wrath and the sin of the world to not be laid on his shoulders. If there's another way, Jesus would like to go that route. Let's explore that one. The death he was facing was a horrible death and he sought to avoid it if possible. He does not get that either. Now, Jesus was not attempting to impose his will or revolt against his father. He is sinlessly pouring out his heart and he's saying I'd like another way if there is one. But Jesus wants a third thing, and he does get this. Jesus wants whatever God the Father wants. The will of the Father was his chief and ultimate concern. According to Acts 2.23, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was the plan of God. It was the will of God. Jesus wanted the cup to pass from him. But more than that, over and above that want, he wanted what the Father wanted. And he prayed, your will be done. In Matthew 6, Jesus had taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now he's praying, your will be done, despite what it means for him. Now he is showing the disciples what that kind of prayer could mean. It could mean pain. It could be loneliness. It could mean death. 
Not only was he praying, your will be done, he goes on to accomplish it. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews 12, 2. Friends, Jesus does not ask us to pray anything he has not prayed. Jesus did not ask us to submit, having never done that himself. And this prayer, this submission, it was far more costly than anything we could ever be asked to carry. The Son of Man was betrayed into the hands of sinners, and this was the will of the Lord. It was the way for a holy God to satisfy his righteousness and his wrath and extend his love and his grace to you and me. But it was not easy. And Jesus suffered. In the first garden, humanity said to God, I want my will, not yours. And the whole world suffered for it and is still suffering for it. In this garden, the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the second Adam, says, not my will, but yours. And with that resolve, he begins to usher in the kingdom and salvation for sleeping disciples and sinners like you and me. He meets his betrayer head on. Don't walk away from this salvation because of your own ever-wandering will. You say to God, I don't want your will for my life. I want my will. I want my will for sex. I want my will for money. I want my will for cars. I want my will for marriage. I want my will for health. I want my will for career. You run after your own will your whole life and you will get it in the next life too. You want God to be absent from your life now. You want freedom from God now. You'll get it for eternity. And you'll be in torment. Carlos said he was comfortable with this. He has no clue what he's talking about. And I hope that changes before it is too late. I wish I could have done a better job to speak to him in that moment. If I could sit down with Carlos again, I would listen to all the suffering that he described, and I would say this to him. Carlos, we live in a very fallen world, and all that pain and tragedy that you just described is proof that this world is broken. But we don't just live in a broken world. You and I are a part of what makes it broken. I can't answer why all those bad things happen to you, but concluding that God is not good is wrong. He is not the author of sin, but he is the author over sin. And Jesus Christ suffered to make that so. God never promised that every chapter of our lives would make sense or be good. But he does promise that all the chapters of our life will make sense in the last chapter. And the last chapter will be very good. Look to Jesus, Carlos. He poured out his feelings to God. He prayed so that ultimately he could get through the pain and he submitted to the Father's will even when it grieved him. Hebrews chapter five, 
verses seven through nine say this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Let's pray together. Father, not everything in this life is easy or understandable. There's pain, there's disappointment, there's confusion. But your son walked this earth and he learned obedience through what he suffered. Would you help us to learn obedience through the suffering that comes in our lives. We thank you that he was made perfect, that he became the source of eternal salvation. Would you help us to follow him? Pray this in his name. Amen.